Back to podcasting. We're also going back to school by talking about the 1986 movie Back to School because, uh, you know, kids around the country are going back to school and we just wanted a very on the nose. Not literally, pick. virtually, not in person. Well, some are literally, maybe. I don't know. I can't keep tabs on all students <laughs> across the whole country. But yeah, a lot of a lot of schools are are getting creative with how to teach now because uh, you know coronavirus is still a thing. Things haven't really changed that much since the last time we recorded a podcast. And uh, it's pretty funny how last season we watched uh, Contagion, and that was like a nightmare scenario at the time. Yeah. But now it's the, our reality is so shitty. I actually look at that as like a fantasy of like, man, <laughs> if only things went as well as they went in Contagion. I guess. There aren't any streets where there's just like nothing but garbage, though. Like that scene where Jude Law's walking around with his homemade hazmat suit and there's just like nothing but garbage. Oh, yeah. Like everybody's dying. Yeah. You know what I want to know? Do more people die in Contagion than people that have actually died from um, coronavirus? Probably. What has the higher death count, I wonder? How many people died in Contagion? Did they, did they release those statistics in the film? I don't know. I'm looking it up. Okay, I was also... The death toll has reached 2.5 million and 26 in the U.S. and 26 million worldwide, it says, when they start uh, doing vaccinations. Okay. Dang. Okay, so we've got a, lot, a, a ways to go. For you to another, a, a, another pattern that I noticed is we're starting another season with a college-set fat person movie. Is that a deliberate choice? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, we're right, what was the last one? It was the Nutty Professor. <laughs> Didn't even think about that. It's just a good show. It was also one of my picks. Uh, that's pretty fun. I wonder that's if we good. can find that's a third stuff. one. We probably can. I mean, Animal House would be acceptable there's, i there's think there's some fat people in it sure yeah oh absolutely um i'd have to think about that though yeah i'm sure there's some 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 good ones yeah are you gonna introduce us oh shit what I, i'm colin westman i'm john otney and i'm sean lemmy sorry i'm just rusty we haven't done it in a while it's okay. Also, if I didn't mention that already, this is this is the pick, the, the podcast pick. where uh, one of us picks a movie, we all have to watch it, and then we talk about it. Uh, it's all about the rules. What's the other catchphrase? The power of the pick. It's all about the power of the pick. It's all power about the pick. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, we will be talking about back to school in a little bit. First off. 
we'll be talking about our little picks, our picks that uh, we'll talk about briefly because picks. they're not as important. Little picks. But they're important to us. Uh, so my little pick is, I guess I'm recommending a album. It's a compilation uh, of a genre I've been listening to a lot. Uh, the genre is city pop, and the compilation is called Ocean Breeze Japanese City Pop AOR and Boogie 1976 to 1986. was put out by Light in the Attic Records, uh, which does a lot of these kind of reissues and re-releases of more obscure music from the past. Uh, so city pop was this genre that was really big in Japan in the late 70s to early 80s. It's kind of similar to like, I don't know, a lot of soft rock in America from that period or, or yacht rock, I guess you could call it also. Uh, but it's a little bit funkier. There's a little more of a groove to the songs. They're they're very infectious. <laughs> uh, so you can get them stuck in your head even if they're not in English. Uh, some some of which are and some of some of them aren't. But um, uh, does yeah. it sound like that album City Pop by Benny Sings from last year? Don't know. Never heard it. You, you didn't get to that one? No. Damn. Maybe I'll check it out now. See, see if it it lines up, uh, but yeah, it's just like a super laid back, chill kind of like pristine pop sound that has like kind of a beach vibe too. Like a lot of the iconography on the uh, albums of these artists are are either like the beach or surfing or or shots of the city, uh, hence the the genre title, and a lot of it kind of. Uh, I don't know, people think it was emblematic of where Japan was at the time, where it was becoming this economic powerhouse kind of fueled by their embrace of technology. So there's also a lot of like synthesizers and electronic instruments uh, in the music as well. Uh, yeah, it, it's, I, I don't know. I usually have a hard time getting into music from other countries, uh, Maybe just because there's a there's a cultural, I don't know, wall in between me being able to find it very accessible, but because the, a lot of this music seems influenced by American pop music, it's it's it was pretty easy for me to get into, and it just has like a nice summery, laid back vibe, so it was good for this time of year, even in a year where summer felt very strange. But yeah. There's also an Ocean you know. Breeze Volume 2, which I listened to also, but I got the first one on vinyl. You, you know. I've heard this album. Oh, you have? Yeah. Cool. I saw it, it had a high review on Pitchfork like a year ago, so I checked it out. Yeah. And it's super polished. It's just like really well-produced pop music. Uh, you know, to quote Gwen Stefani, ooh, this my shit. This is some good stuff. <laughs> yeah. I really like it. Uh, and then I think Light in the Attic also put out like a playlist on Apple Music that's like a city pop primer that also has a ton of these same artists and from this genre and is also super good. 
and so I've just yeah been kind of listening to all this all this city pop stuff. It's been honestly kind of hard to listen to anything else because this is just such good like background music. <laughs> so soothing. Yeah, absolutely. It's but, chill. But yeah, but 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 guys. Yeah. You know what the. <laughs> You know, the Japanese word for city pop is? Is it shitty poop? <laughs> yeah, it is! It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. Wait, I'm confused. Is that what they call it? Says <laughs> right on Wikipedia. <laughs> city pop in the parentheses. Shitty pop. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty. Wow, funny. he's right. Yeah. You made me hold that in way too long. I'm like lightheaded. <laughs> I'm sorry. I kept saying things. <laughs> Pass out over there. <laughs> wow. Wow. <sighs> All right then. What's uh? What's your guys' little picks? I don't know who goes next. Probably John, maybe? Yeah, I'll go. Uh, So I've, you know, been playing some video games this summer, and I'm going to go with the Tony Hawk remake that came out a few weeks ago. Um, It's a remake of the first two games. I got it on Xbox, and it just, it looks super awesome. It's super polished, and it plays really well. And I got the special edition, but I don't know what that includes, aside from the fact that I get to play as a Skellington, which is fun, and I enjoy that. Uh, though I mostly play as my creative character, Dick Ferrari. <laughs> uh, and I've just been, you know, it's everything you would want in a remake. It's got uh, all, almost all, the, I think it's only missing three songs from the original two games. Uh, it's got a bunch of new songs. And I like the, the new additions to some of the levels, like... For example, the mall level in the first Tony Hawk game, um, they made it like even more dilapidated. There's like grass growing through like, you know, the ground, and there's like just all this. It looks like a post-apocalyptic mall, <laughs> and the lighting's really good. And yeah, man, it's just super fun. I haven't even gotten to Tony Hawk uh, Two because I have to like I have to beat every single challenge in the first game before I can even move on to the second one. Um, and I'm not super good at those games, so it takes me some time to get, like, the six score, you know, the, the highest score you have to get sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but also, there's an unlockable uh, in this game that I've never wanted to unlock something so bad. <laughs> so you guys remember Officer Dick from the original game that you could unlock? Yep. Yeah. So Officer Dick is back, and now, but now he's Jack Black. <laughs> <laughs> And they scanned Jack Black for the game, and he also does all like the the noises for like when he like falls and gets hit and stuff. So I I, I gotta unlock Jack Black. You gotta guys. get that. I just it's something I need to have, and I think you I think it's not unreasonable, but you do have to. I I think you have to beat like a bunch of challenges as like your creative character. Um, so I probably won't have them for a while, but that's gonna be a good day, and I'm it's, it's a day that's gonna come. <laughs> Were, so yeah, check it out. Are you bummed that they call it Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 instead of calling it a remake of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2X 
the Xbox release, which was also a compilation of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2, released on the original Xbox. I mean, I'd say that doesn't disappoint me, because I literally just discovered that was a thing as you were telling me that, so I don't really care. I don't give a shit what they call it. Like, just, you know, they could just call it, you know, THPS, and I'd be like, cool, I'm down. Do you... I hope they do the third game at some point. Yeah, I'm, I'm liking this remake trend that they're, they they finally got it down. That's what I was gonna follow up with. Do you think they'll do like three as DLC, or do you think they'll do like a three and four separate disc? I think more likely it would be DLC. I just I, I just have a feeling. I don't know why. It just it feels more appropriate to 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 just do DLC than make people buy a whole other game. I think that's what the fans would want. I'm guessing a lot of like the. I don't know the, the like the moves you can do and the controls are more on par with the later games. It's not as simplified as the earlier ones were on the PlayStation. I mean, yeah, that's probably true. And I, I don't think think you could even manual in the first Tony no, Hawk game, couldn't. right? You can. So do it's like definitely like reverts and long. I don't know combos. It's definitely like a a combination of kind of the trick set from the first handful of games. Mm-hmm. I know there's some other kinds of moves they integrated in like underground underground two that it doesn't have. I can't remember what those are specifically, mm-hmm. but uh, like I picked up the control and it all felt super comfortable and familiar. And there wasn't anything where I'm like, Oh my gosh, like it's missing this or it doesn't have this. Like everything felt right. Nothing felt like it was absent. Mm-hmm. So but I'm—I don't know. I'm not like a super diehard of this of the franchise. Well, I have played a lot of them. Yeah, I wish I could play it, but I don't have a PS4 or an Xbox. Oh well. Sean, what you got for us? Yeah. Uh, well, along with us being back at school, um, uh, another major sport has returned, and that's the NFL. And that is somewhat tangentially related to my little pick this week, mm-hmm. which is a show on Apple TV Plus called Ted Lasso. Have either of you even ever heard of it? I have heard of it. I keep forgetting that it exists, <laughs> but I should check it out. I heard that it's good. So Ted Lasso uh, is based on a 2013 series of commercials that Jason Sudeikis made for NBC Sports, uh, where he uh, they were they were starting to do coverage of the uh, English Premier League, which is their you know their professional soccer league. Um, and so the joke was Ted Lasso is an American football coach who goes over to England to be an English football coach, uh, and hilarity ensues because he doesn't know anything about the sport. He's just fish out of water. Um, and I think the interesting change they made in adapting this commercial into a TV show is, uh, they made it all a lot nicer. This became a very pleasant TV show to watch where, um, I, it, it, it's still a fish out of water thing and he still doesn't know much about soccer, but it's more about how he's, um, like an optimistic American in a, in the very cynical United Kingdom mm-hmm. and uh, how that plays off all these other people. There's also, they've added in a sort of major league style plot where the 
owner of the team uh, only owns it because uh, she got in a divorce from uh, her cheating husband, and so she kind of wants to tank the team, and that's why she hired Ted Lasso to begin with. Um, but again, it turns out that there's actually like she's she's a bit more complicated than just a like one-dimensional '80s sports movie villain, um, and uh, that vulnerability I appreciate a lot. It's also just like surprisingly a show about adults handling their problems in a mature way which is like not something i see a lot which is weird because I, I watch a lot of like you know things made for adults like i've been watching the boys as well and it's just like it's such a weird disconnect where these like everyone seems so immature in the boys compared to ted lasso which i'm sure is something everyone's talking about uh, it's also, so the, the owner of the team, John, you'd recognize is the, is the, the woman from Game of Thrones who's like, shame, shame, you know, that like religious lady. Yeah. And, uh, and Juno Temple's in this too, who is someone whose name I recognize, but I did not recognize her. I'm not sure what I would know her from. Um, and then for me, Anthony Head also in this weirdly playing character named Rupert Mannion. Because uh, his character in Buffy the Vampire Slayer was named Rupert Giles. So I guess, for me, Anthony Head will always be a Rupert. It's a weird guy to be. Just ask Rupert uh, Everett. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Rupert Everett keeps coming up behind the scenes. Yeah, sure. I have the same birthday as Rupert Everett. <laughs> <laughs> Shaw was watching some Shrek 2 clips before we started recording. <laughs> Why? I was just seeing if I could put together the whole movie by just little clips on YouTube. And it turns out you pretty much can. And also the people look nightmarish because it's a you know early 2000s movie where all, yeah. everyone's humans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but in conclusion, Ted Lasso uh, is on Apple TV. This first... It's... I don't know if all Apple TV shows are like this, but this one is one where they do episodes every Friday. Um, it's a little frustrating because I want to watch more of it. And the season, I think, has two more episodes left. Uh, maybe only one more left by the time this podcast comes out. So you've got time to, to catch up for the big finale. Uh, oh, and it's a Bill Lawrence show. I forgot to mention that. You know, mm. that's, that's sort of what drew me to it originally, is uh, Bill Lawrence is the guy who made... Uh, I, I think he made Spin City. At least he was the uh, the name I associate with Spin City. But also he did Scrubs and so. Cougar Town. Yeah, but and, that... and other things probably. Seems like he's made a lot of shows. Should I watch Cougar Town? You guys, it just never interested me. I feel like the moment has passed <laughs> for you to watch Cougar Town. Do you think it's like it just seemed like it was of an era where there were like a few good shows on television and now there's like too many but like back then people were they they needed a show like Cougar Town to just be like yeah it's pretty good it's not as good as Community or Parks and Rec but it's like it's pretty solid I mean what else are you going to watch Will and Grace What was it was on ABC for some reason I was like this must have been like on like TV land 
I got what am I thinking of? TBS. Oh, I think I'm thinking of what's that show like Hot in Cleveland? Yeah, that's what I I'm think thinking of. <laughs> that one also has former sitcom stars, isn't it? Yeah. Hot in Cleveland, yes. That's the whole thing. Yeah, it's got Valerie Bertinelli and like Wendy Malick and Bay White. Wow. And Six Jane seasons Levy. of Hot in Cleveland. Six hundred and twenty eight episodes. What do you think has more episodes? Cougar Town or Hot in Cleveland? I'm gonna guess mm, that's probably hot in Cleveland. But 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 Cougar Town came back, right? It got cancelled and brought back on TBS. Yeah, but it's still gotta be like four or five seasons total. Which I guess could be around hundred and twenty episodes. Okay, so both shows had six seasons. Um though wow. Hot in Cleveland had twenty six more episodes. <laughs> I assume because they were probably doing the more like old school every season's like 28 episodes long whereas I imagine Cougar Town was probably doing less episodes per season. At least when it was on TBS. Mm -hmm. Because like good comedies don't do that many episodes these days. (laughs) So how many episodes of Cougar Town? Um, 128. Oh Cougar Town. Or no Cougar Cougar Town's 102. 102. So they just hit that 100 mark for syndication and they're like fuck this shit yeah shut it down and since it ended on they can show it on tbs all they want i yeah, i assume that's where they show it now all right colin i hope we gave you enough padding for uh <laughs> for this episode i think you did i mean i i did need it because unfortunately i couldn't find out hardly anything about the production or the making of this film online so I don't I don't know how this movie came to be or what it was like filming it really. Uh but for my I guess deep dive portion of the podcast, I think I'll talk a little bit about Rodney Dangerfield's career since it is pretty strange that he came to be a uh, sort of leading man in his 60s. <laughs> You don't see that happen very often. Um, So he was not born Rodney Dangerfield. He was born Jacob Rodney Cohen. His father was a vaudeville performer who was rarely home. And then I guess his dad just eventually just left him and his family. Uh, Around the age of 15, uh, I'll just call him Rodney, but... uh, (laughs) Rodney started writing jokes for comedians and performing near the Catskill Mountains, which, uh, as we know from Miss Maisel, is kind of an area in upstate New York where Jewish people often go for their vacations in the summer. And I guess that's where a lot of comedians, uh, particularly Jewish comedians, would perform for them, and a lot of them got their start there. So... A lot of those comedians were known as Borscht Belt comedians. Um, (laughs) And uh, so he wasn't going under the name Jacob Cohen. He was going under the name Jack Roy when he started performing. uh, Basically toiled in obscurity for about 10 years. Uh... And he was also selling aluminum siding uh, to support his family. And I think he quit at some point. I think he even has a joke about it. It's, it's something like, yeah, I quit comedy. I was the only person who noticed. 
but then in the 1960s, he started back up doing comedy again, uh, like playing in nightclubs at night, I guess around the Catskills, while still working as a salesman by day. And then, you know, he still wasn't really finding any success or, 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 or getting any respect, so to speak. So he thought that he needed to find like an image or a persona that everyone could identify, you know, have his own specific shtick that he could call his own. And so he developed this character who, you know, couldn't get no respect. He was always getting shit on. <laughs> Just, you know, a lot of... Uh, self-deprecation uh, used in his act just talking about how oh, he's this guy who nobody respects at all a lot of you know one-liners these i mean it's a very like like a genre of comedy that's very of that time of that particular era of just very short setup punchline setup punchline and you're just there to entertain there's nothing super personal about the stories you're telling Although it seems like I'm sure some of Ronnie Dangerfield's material was a little autobiographical, even though he was more or less playing a character. Uh, but after he started performing as Ronnie Dangerfield, he eventually got his big break in 1967, where he was a last-minute addition to an episode of The Ed Sullivan Show, and it went over really well. He was a big hit, got lots of laughs. Uh, he ended up coming back to Sullivan, performing stand-up a bunch of times. He started playing in Vegas. Then he would go on to appear on the Dean Martin show a bunch of times. He would regularly go on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. I think by the time Carson left The Tonight Show, Dangerfield had appeared over 70 times on the show. Jesus. So this is, uh, yeah, just making lots of... Uh, late night talk show appearances and, and doing stand-up throughout the 70s. Then 1980 comes, and that's when his album No Respect comes out, which won a Grammy. Uh, I just re-listened to it this week. I'd heard it before. It's uh, great. <laughs> I mean, on that album, you can kind of tell he had been holding that style of just joke, 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 joke. <laughs> for for a while so you really have to almost just like lock it and pay attention to it because if you don't you'll you'll miss you'll miss some of those punchlines like i i like it that that album is not even split up into uh bits it's just side one and side two are all just two tracks because it would uh, be silly to to split up all those all those jokes uh, and then 1980, that was also the year he appeared in Caddyshack uh, alongside Bill Murray and uh, Chevy Chase. Uh, and it is kind of weird that he, I don't know, sort of crossed over with that era of comedy star that came out of SNL and then uh, started making movies in the 80s. Which I guess I would call like the the wild and crazy guys of comedy <laughs> during that era. Um, and then, of course, in 1983, you recorded the iconic the iconic uh, song "Rap and Rodney," 
I watched the music yeah, video. Looking at it right now. It's a great <laughs> album cover. Yeah. I watched the music video earlier today and uh it, it was it's weird. It, it's just him like doing stand up <laughs> routines over uh you know proto hip hop beat, I guess. It's pretty early on uh in when hip hop was popular. I guess it was hip hop was probably thought to be just a fad at that point, which would make sense <laughs> for this novelty song. But uh, the video does feature Pat Benatar and uh, Father Guido Sarducci. <laughs> My two favorite musicians. Yeah. 80s icons. Uh, so, he also in 1983 starred in the film Easy Money, which I know nothing about, but I feel like that was kind of his first starring role. Also, weirdly, he is in the background of a shot in Stanley Kubrick's The Killing, which came out in, Oof, like, I don't know, course. early to mid-50s. I've almost picked that movie a bunch of times. Yeah. Good to know. <laughs> so, if you ever pick it, we could talk about that one shot that he's in the background of with, like, a crowd of people. You can barely notice it. But I, I It's like how Ron Jeremy's in Ghostbusters. I didn't know that. Yeah, he's in the crowd. When they're just in the crowd. Yeah. Would he have been an established porn star at that point, though? <laughs> I don't know when Jer- Ron Jeremy got I f- big. I feel like he would have been in the biz, yeah. He just happened to be on set that day, I guess. He's like, hey, need some extras? I got acting experience. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I wonder if you can, like, see him on the... Oh, yeah, you can see him. He's in the crowd. He's, like, looking up at a building. Mm-hmm. He definitely would have been working point oh yeah uh also ron jeremy is a creep who abuses women so fuck that guy yeah fuck him yeah. he's going to jail forever yeah. so colin you did all this research on rodney dangerfield what can you tell me about dr vinnie boom bots he's his doctor he just, <laughs> he just tells him all of the things that are wrong with his body which apparently there are it's a just, lot yeah it's just the funniest name ever. I was Vinnie wondering Boombots. if he had any more insight on that. No, oh, so really. seeing Dr. Vinny Boombots. Yeah. <laughs> Always cracks me up. I was watching some clips of him on Carson, and it's funny how Carson just lets him, like, riff for, like, five minutes without asking him any questions. <laughs> it's great. He's ready to go. He's got so many jokes in the back of his mind. But it also... Like, there's... Does it bother you when it's like so obviously, hey, this guy's just doing bits? Like they're not having a conversation at all. Like on late night talk shows. Yeah. When they do panel. A little bit. I I know that's how it's done. Like uh, the conversations are planned. And, and definitely since I watched Larry Sanders' show, I've like picked up on the, like, the, the, the stupid leading questions that they have to ask because that's the established talking point. But. It, mm-hmm. At least most of the time, people pretend they're having a conversation. With Rodney Dangerfield, it's just like, he's just going. He's just doing bits. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, then in 1986, he made this movie that we're talking about, uh, Back to School. Uh, Harold Ramis did get a co-writing credit on it, which um, they did work together on Caddyshack, which Ramis 
directed. Who directed this? Ooh, that would be Alan Matter. Alan Matter. I don't know much about him. It seems like this is maybe the most famous movie he did. He did direct one of the police academies, uh, Mission to Moscow. Also did some TV movies for the Disney Channel, looks like. He directed the Jersey and the Growing Pains movie from 2000? What is this? That's weird. Mission to Moscow is the seventh Police Academy movie. <laughs> <laughs> police Academy 7. Yeah. Michael Lins- Winslow is the top build actor. <laughs> and, uh... Critically, it got overwhelming dislike <laughs> as I'm reading under the reception area. Leonard Maltin said, if the United States and Soviet Union were still at odds, this film would make a great weapon. It could bore people to death. Got him. Got him. Uh, so you guys had seen this movie before, correct? Oh sure, yes. this this is one of those movies that was just on Comedy Central back in the day. You guys probably didn't see it because you were busy watching VH1 and MTV. <laughs> we love music. <laughs> okay. Uh, as for me, I I saw it only a year or two ago, so it's it was recent, mm-hmm. and I I watched it because binging on binging with Babish, he made the uh, the appetizer, the hors the the, the hors d'oeuvre sandwich. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys remember that sandwich where it's like a big loaf of bread and it's got like deviled eggs and that what do you call that spankatopia stuff? I can never remember what it's called. So meatballs, meatballs, yeah. So my my thing there is when I watch that in the movie, I'm always like, this is just a thing he does. Like he's just like, <laughs> we're gonna put this in the movie. It it does not ever feel to me like something that they wrote in the screenplay. What do you mean by that? It just it feels too real. It feels too <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't make any jokes. He just goes and does it. Okay. That's the closest I feel like I ever get to seeing the real Rodney Dangerfield. Is he's just the kind of guy that hollows out a loaf of bread and shoves food inside of it when he's like depressed. yeah. He has all, he knows all these details about like oh we got to hollow the bread out so I can fit all the stuff inside. Like he knows. I mean, that's true. I would never think of that. I would just be like, you gotta slice the bread. (laughs) Like, you usually slice bread. I would never think to hollow it out and push it inside. I like how he has the the waiter hold the bread as he cuts it, because it's so massive. That's true. He just doesn't give a shit. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's real, man. It's real. Yeah. So, yeah, I had not seen it. I didn't really know much about it, uh, other than that is a fun name that is very seasonal this time of year. And I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like it's as famous or revered as a lot of the uh, sort of slobs versus snobs comedies from this era, but it definitely kind of fits in to that. That genre, I suppose. Um, I guess just the fact that it's set out of school uh, makes it feel like one of those movies because I feel like the defining movie of that era was Animal House. So I guess we can go through the plot a bit. 
It starts off in a pretty charming way. It's in black and white. It's New York City. It's, I don't know, like the 30s, 40s maybe? We 40s, I believe. Okay. We see a uh, young Thornton Maloney uh, and his father talking about how Thornton got bad grades in school. And his father's like, you got to get good grades. And he's like, I don't, I don't know how to do that, Pop. And then there's a montage of uh, Thornton Maloney, like basically growing up, uh, growing his business. Uh, I I guess his father was a tailor, and so he kind of inherited the family business. And then, so yeah, you've got all these these vignettes of... uh, Photoshop Rodney Dangerfields onto old old timey photos, which is yeah. great. They look so good. Yeah, they look so. You good. know, uh, another thing, it wouldn't be a the pick movie if we didn't have some sort of technological version of anti aging uh, <laughs> represented on film. This is the most primitive version we've seen so far. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes that head is not even lined up real good with the body they put him on. It's like, who cares? It's like Roddy Dangerfield has a really funny face to look at. You can put it however you want on a body and it'll look funny. Yeah. Also, the score. I'm I'm into this this theme and the score to this movie is pretty good. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a uh, yeah. You guys saw who it was because he's in the movie. Danny Elfman is uh, did the score, and he's also in the movie. Oingo Boingo is in the movie. Um, that I just thought that was interesting because this must have been one of the first movies he'd scored. No way he was at it that long. Mm-hmm. And what's funny is, right before I watched this, the day before I watched another um, kind of uh, adult school 80s comedy movie that Danny Elfman also did the soundtrack to. Weird. I watched uh, Summer School with Mark Harmon and I was like, this huh. is a very appropriate pairing. <laughs> so check it out. It's a deal with that movie. So, bas- okay, so I won't go on a tangent. There always has to be a so summer school with why they go back to school. <laughs> why does he go back to school? <laughs> Yeah, so well, he doesn't go back to school. He's a teacher, but here's the here's the plot to okay. Summer School. It's a Carl Reiner movie. Basically, uh, Mark Harmon, cool teacher, wears a Hawaiian shirt literally every day. Teaches <laughs> PE. Um, super excited to go to Hawaii for the summer with his girlfriend. But yeah. the teacher who's supposed to teach the summer school class, I guess there's just one summer school class. Uh-huh. Carl Reiner is that teacher, but he wins the lottery, so he's not going to do it. So then the assistant principal has to find someone else to teach summer school. And he goes to Mark Harmon, and he's like, "If you want tenure, you got to, uh, you got to teach uh, summer school." But he's like, "I don't know how to teach. I teach PE." It's like too bad. And then he has to teach all the dumb misfit kids, but uh, they all learn something along the way about themselves <laughs> at summer school with Mark Harmon. Huh? Is it's it good? Okay. Is uh, is uh, I mean, it's, it's fine. This movie's a lot better. But, you know, if you like Mark Harmon in a Hawaiian shirt, <laughs> you can't beat this movie. How um, 80s problematic is it on a scale from, let's say, Revenge of the Nerds to Back to School? <laughs> uh, 
It's not very problematic. It, it, this movie could almost be PG with some clever editing. Mm. Uh, th- there are two nerds in the movie who are into like horror movies and gore effects, so they're always doing like super gory shit. So, I mean, that's not problematic, but that's certainly more intense. Um, no creepy. S- oh, there was one creepy uh, subplot where one of his students wants to hook up with him, um, but not at any point is he like, "Yeah, I want, I want this." It's all on her. And they kind of resolve that, so it's okay. He ends up with Kirstie Alley, um, like so, so many. Not that problematic. <laughs> not like Revenge of the Nerds. Revenge of the Nerds, a movie that's I feel like legacy has been just erased because of that horrible rape scene. Because uh, there is some yeah. good stuff in there in Revenge of the Nerds, but that scene is just ugh. It's creepy well, then, yeah. and it's horrifying now. <laughs> And there, and there, there's more bad shit they do in that movie than just that too. I believe there's a joke where Booger talks about like, oh, I got I'm cruising the junior highs looking for some tail or something. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, this is this is bad. Yeah, gotta get away from this. Um, but a pleasant surprise for me was Back to School it has I think one racist joke in it, and otherwise, um, it's, it seemed yeah, pretty okay. There was, I feel like there was some joke that I was like, eh. About uh, when he like sees girls showering, yeah. I can't remember. But that's just—I mean, for the time being, and like for this like old man to see something like that. I think he accidentally. I can't he, wa- he accidentally walks into her showering, and then he's like, "Oh no!" And then she like closes the drape, but then he opens it back up, and he's like, "You got yeah, nothing. He opens it back up. You got nothing to be ashamed of. You're beautiful." And it's like, okay. <laughs> Not great. He's old. I'll give him a pass. Yeah. <laughs> he gets he no what one. he's doing. <laughs> but yeah, I agree that this is a movie that I think holds up pretty well. Doesn't feel super dated in most of its humor. Yeah, it's just a, like. it's just a fear whenever you watch any 80s comedy where <laughs> sex is somewhat present. <laughs> yeah, so anyways, after we get that nice uh, opening credit montage we see that uh thornton has changed his name to thornton mellon because that's just a hilarious name and uh he's built his father's uh clothing company into a plus size clothing company i already forgot what it was called was it just like big and fat big and fat (laughs) (laughs) yeah i love his commercial for big and fat too because i like it there's that part where he's listing like the only, the only one I can remember is, like, do you go to a restaurant and just say, okay? <laughs> or no, they hand you the menu and then you say, okay? <laughs> like, that you're getting it all. I can't remember. He had a bunch of riffs about, you know, if you're fat. This is, these are the clothes for you. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. I think, I think it's tall and fat. Tall and fat. I, tall and fat. I feel like oh, he yeah, flipped Oh, yeah, because it's got to be more different around. than big. Yeah. Tall and fat. You're right. <laughs> yeah. So he's uh, he's super successful. He's a uh, he's a prominent businessman, and well, well, I gotta ask yeah. John because he likes fat people jokes. Did you like the scene where he has the meeting with his uh, board, and they have like a platter of donuts out, and everyone's just like gorging themselves? And he, he I do like that. You know, I I do like it. You know what I like even better is for some reason, even though this is like an apparel line, they have like a product for like a fat cabbage patch kid doll. <laughs> oh yeah. 
It's like, I guess they're just trying to go for everything fat-related. That's just their brand. I wish I could remember what it was called. So I think then we see... Okay, I'm just... Is it Melon Patch Kids? (laughs) That sounds good. Oh, it's gotta be! Because they're melons and that's his name! Yeah. And isn't the joke... There's a joke, too, about, like... Oh, I can't remember what it is. He's like the Cabbage Patch Kids are all uh, adopted, and all of ours are orphans or something like that. Ugh. Yeah, I mean that's what's so tough. The jokes here are so rapid fire. No way we're gonna remember them all. And they're all, and most of them hit too. It's not like I feel like Robin Williams when he would go on the rapid fire riffing, he had a lower success rate. As much as I love Robin Williams, yeah, you gotta be like, like calm Rodney down. It's like calm down. Let's let's kind of steer away from some of these questionable impressions you're doing. Yeah. Where what's great about Rodney Dangerfield's in like jokes is a lot of them are self-deprecating. I think which really also helps his brand and his style of comedy. Yeah. But I think also to to go back to my like late night talk show thing, I think it's because Rodney Dangerfield is just going rapid fire through jokes he's already written. Exactly. <laughs> Rob Williams had was was coming off the dome. Yeah, fresh. yeah he's improvising. I remember I remember Harold Ramis talked about when they're filming Caddyshack, like Bill Murray and Chevy Chase were were getting more screen time because they were just improvising a ton throughout the scenes. And Rodney Dangerfield like tried to improvise a little bit, but I think Raymond said like he was he was just terrible. He just couldn't do it. Like he had to have jokes written for him because uh, that was just his style. And uh, interesting. Maybe it maybe it works better honestly than Robin Williams just making shit up. That kind of makes sense. Yeah, I. That's interesting because. I yeah, I don't associate that attitude with with filmmaking back then, but certainly in the post Apatow era, there's definitely a sense that uh, comedy films so they just get together a bunch of funny people and have like a loose sense of what they're doing and then just improvise on the day, mm-hmm. and uh, that sometimes that works really well, but I feel like a lot of the time that that does backfire. I feel like if you're not starting with funny written material and then choosing to improvise on top of that uh you're you're gonna be in trouble (laughs) unless you're like the funniest people in the world and also people aren't tired of your shtick like what will ferrell's going through right now so kind of a inciting incident comes at the uh the same dinner party where Thornton Mellon hollows out a loaf of bread to make a sandwich. Mm-hmm. Since that comes after he uh, finds his wife uh, cheating on him with, uh, you know, just some guy. And it's Adrian Barbeau. Yeah, is, is playing wife. his wife. From, from the fog. From the fog. And other things. Cannonball Run. Swamp Thing. Yeah. The voice of the chess computer from The Thing, because she used to be married to John Carpenter. Yeah. Do you think John Carpenter was on set of this movie at all? 
Interesting. So this would have been like Big Trouble in Little China time. Yeah. Um, Probably not. Maybe. I mean, Adrian Barbo's not in the movie a ton. <laughs> so. You gotta stop by. Yeah. Wearing his. Sh- Man, how shades. great would it have been if Rodney Dangerfield was in Big Trouble in Little China? Oh, God. <laughs> Who would he play? I can't think of any possible <laughs> character who could play in that film. Oh, no. I love thinking about Rodney Dangerfield in just any, uh, any, any, any movie. movie not tailor made for him. Yeah. Do you guys remember. Um, I don't know how this even came up, but when we did an American Werewolf in London, we talked about it at Star Trek Dangerfield. <laughs> I don't, and I don't know why. Uh, full moon. Hey, I got a full stomach. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to go see Doctor Vinny Boombots yep. to cure him of his, uh, his werewolf disease. <sighs> Good stuff. Good stuff. Should have happened. Um... He's just a funny person. Yeah, he, he works well in anything. Pretty much. So yeah, after his wife is found to be cheating with him, they're like, I don't know, they basically break up, but they never like finalize a divorce, divorce or anything. He's just like, I'm going to go hang out with my son Jason, who's going to college. And also at the end of a scene, he does a backflip into a pool, which at that point in the movie just seems like a random thing for him to do. <laughs> but... Later on, we learn. Yeah, we learn there's more to his <laughs> ability to do backflips into pools. Uh, so yeah, he 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 meets up with his son at college, uh, who's just kind of bummed out by college life. He's on the swim team, but he's not like actually on the swim team. He's a towel boy. He probably told Thornton that he actually was on the swim team. And it's Keith Gordon, star of John Carpenter's Christine. All right. Yeah, I'd never seen this just chap before. Just throwing. I mean, this is this is probably along with Christine his biggest role. Um, aside from that, I think now he like directs TV. Um, All right. He's got like a pretty accomplished TV directing career. Like he, he's done like Dexter and Fargo and. Oh, cool. Yeah, you know, good stuff. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. And then uh, Jason's also got a wacky roommate, played by Robert Downey Jr. He's got some wild hair going on, some wild looks. He's just eccentric, I guess. It is weird that Thornton doesn't repeatedly call him gay, but it's because this movie just sidesteps being extremely problematic, just barely, because it knows what it's doing, I guess. I guess Rodney's sense of humor was never, like, edgy in that way you know which is good he's a little more old school a little bit like but his, also yeah a lot of making fun of himself yeah his albums are he's a little really more like raw, diss on people but yeah it's always at himself it's not aimed at other people for the most part i, I wouldn't really say he's like an insult comic per se so unless he's insulting he's himself yeah <laughs> exactly so, anyways, as we learned at the beginning of the movie, Thornton uh, had never gone to school. So he just decides to take classes. I can't remember what makes him decide that he needs to enroll in the college. It's a bet. His son is thinking about dropping out because, like you said, he's a towel boy and not on the team. And he's not doing great in his classes. Mm-hmm. And the girl he has a crush on doesn't pay attention to him. 
So he's thinking about dropping out. Um, and so Thornton says, you can't drop out. you got to finish this. You're the smartest kid in the world. And so to, to prove to him that it's not impossible, he's also going to enroll and take the same courses and, and, uh, and do it with him. Yeah. But then before he does, he... Uh... I guess he he meets up with uh, Ned Beatty at at one point, and Ned Beatty's just all about him for some reason. I guess just because he's a super successful businessman. Donates a building. Yeah. And so he's basically just like, yeah, you can totally enroll because you're donating money to the school. Uh, But then our film's villain steps in, Dr. Philip Barbet, dean of the business school. Who's just like, you know, your typical snooty, fancy college uh, professor. But uh, it doesn't matter. Thornton, Thornton gets in anyways. And then it's probably around this time that he has his first class with uh, the literature professor, Dr. Diane Turner, played by Sally Kellerman. And he's, you know, he's, he's instantly smitten. He has a little, like, fantasy sequence where he's kissing her on a a picnic or something. (laughs) Uh, Nothing wrong with a picnic. Yeah, it's it's fine. It's it's not cancelable. Everybody go on picnics. They're very safe for COVID. Relationships between professors and students typically frowned upon, but they don't really touch upon that in this. I guess because he is... A very unusual student. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and I think she's also kind of dating the 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 business dean guy. Yeah, Philip, which, which makes it even easier to hate him, especially for Thornton. Uh, I don't know what else is there to really talk about the plot there's not that that much it's just he's getting one of his jokes. teachers is sam kinnison oh yeah we gotta we gotta talk about that scene uh sam kinnison is a teacher at the school i believe he's teaching history and a student asks him why did why did the americans get out of vietnam and she gives an answer and he's like no it's because of pussies like you were sitting here while guys like me got killed in the jungle or something. And then he screams, of course. He's a very intense guy. Yeah. As Sam Kinison is. Uh, but Rodney Dangerfield wins him over by talking about how the United States were pussies in the Korean War. Yeah, he, he gets on his level. His <laughs> level of insane macho. Uh, I think Rod- Do you think that's funny? Do you guys like the Sam Kinison's shtick? Um, I think it's kind of funny. I don't know if it's it's funny, but I I really appreciate the energy. Yeah. For me, I don't like, like that's a committed performance. I don't like it in this scene, but later on when he's doing all the tests, I like when Sam Kinison's like, "Hey, hey, hey, everybody, just give him a chance, just give him a chance." And then he's like, "Why are you taking so long?" Yeah. <laughs> It would be interesting to see how this character uh, <laughs> interacts with society in more scenes, but yeah. we only really get to see him <laughs> twice. Like, is he always screaming at people? 
or is it just part of his teaching style? I don't know. Um, I think you know part of the fantasy uh, of the early and mid part of the film is watching how Thornton approaches uh, college life. Like one of the things he does immediately is hire Robert Picardo to turn their dorm somehow into like a a state overnight uh where they all have like separate bedrooms and a hot tub and a full kitchen and living room area i don't i have no idea where this space came from um matter. or or why they didn't just live off campus yeah. but <laughs> you know just, but that's just wants to show his, his boy the good life Um, the real college experience, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, he's like uh, he's like goofing around, uh, goofing around in the classes. Like uh, he goes to the business class taught by Philip, and oh yeah, he's asking all these uh, questions about the theoretical scenario that, that Philip's describing, uh, using his uh, his you know American common sense approach to, to problem solving. Where he's like, you you got to take into account in your budget, you know, money to to bribe <laughs> local politicians and stuff like that. Yeah, that's that's a fun scene because it kind of begs the question of like, what what does it really take to to run a business? Like, do you, do you need to know all the, the the theoreticals of of business planning, or is it just about getting out in the real world and experiencing it and making something of yourself like what's actually valuable does college matter i don't know um there's also the the party scene at the bar i guess we haven't talked about um ronnie dangerfield's uh valet slash muscle character called lou played by bert oh yeah there's a lot of great grizzled character actors in this (laughs) But, but Bert Young certainly takes the cake, as he does in any movie, <laughs> being the most <laughs> grizzled, schlubby guy on screen. I like how he's not just his driver, he's just, like, always there, like, hanging out with him, like, if he goes to, like, a bar or something. Yeah. He's, like, his weird friend who, like, grunts and beats people up. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, why is Burt Young playing this part and not just some, you know, why don't they just get some some big guy who doesn't really even need to act to play this part? Because they didn't do that. Okay. This is still the 80s, guys. We didn't know about hot dudes yet. It's not like now where everyone has to be sculpted, you know, Ken Doll, man. Is it really what I meant? I'm not really sure where you're going with this. <laughs> Back then, they were like, saying... Burt Young, that's what a tough guy looks like. We'll give I'm him saying, a like you could have cast like a, a like a WWF wrestler, like like some guy who's big. Like yeah. why is it Burt Young who actually is like an actor and like I don't know, it just it's there's nothing for him to do with like he has fun in this role, but there's not really anything for him to do. <laughs> he barely I'm, has any lines. Yeah. Casting wrestlers what they do now. Back then they're like, We'll get Burt we'll give him a a, a napkin holder that he can crush in his hand, and then we'll be like, strong. <laughs> I do him. like that. I do like that. I don't know. There, that's there good. is something intimidating about a guy that's just like super old, and 
like you can see it in his eyes. They're like, oh, this guy's seen some shit. He's he's experienced things that I don't want to experience. Like, you don't you don't get that from a a ripped handsome guy. Yeah, I guess you can go the angle too, as you don't expect this guy to be a threat to you, but he absolutely is. Because yeah. <laughs> he can crush a napkin holder. Uh huh. And you can hold up a sign that says Bruce Springsteen. Oh yeah. Uh, Thornton also meets the uh, the diving coach. Which I guess we didn't really talk about MM at Walsh, mm-hmm. and uh, they're they're struggling. They're bad. They don't. They really only have one good swimmer, and it's uh, William Zabka playing the kind of character he always plays in movies. <laughs> Douchebag from the eighties. Was this before or after the Karate Kid? I believe this would have been after. Um, yeah, let's see. he played this kind of character in this and Karate Kid, and there's this movie I saw called Just One of the Guys, and he's this kind of <laughs> character. Like, this was his bread and butter. I'm going to have a mullet, and I'm going to be an asshole. Mm-hmm. Uh, but somehow M. Emmett Walsh discovers that uh, Thornton, like, what is this like famous for this legendary move that he did like years ago? Yeah. What was it, the Triple Lindy? Triple is what Lindy. it was called. Triple Lindy. Yeah. Um, and you know that that gets him pretty stoked, but you know he's a little disappointed that his son doesn't quite seem to have that same kind of talent. But Thornton thinks, oh, he he can be good though; he has potential. Yeah, that's um, it's a confusing part of the movie because <laughs> Jason seems to be under the impression that um, he's only on the team after that because um, Ronnie Dangerfield interfered. But it seems to be the case that he's actually just a good diver and that Ronnie Dangerfield didn't interfere, more just made Emmett Walsh consider putting him on the team. It's a tough read. I think, I think we're supposed to walk away from it thinking, oh, actually, he's a pretty good diver. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but I feel like the first time M. Emmett sees him dive, he's not great. Well, Keith so character. there's the other thing about the movie is they assume we know a lot about what diving looks like and how it works. <laughs> yeah, like, I can't tell. It's like, oh, that was like, because later, like when they're doing the tournament near the end of the movie, there's like people diving and you hear the crowd go like, oh, like they like the diver totally fucked up. I'm like, I mean, it didn't look that bad. Really, the only thing I can tell <laughs> of it being bad is when they don't like go right into the water like super smoothly like maybe if their legs are kicked out a little bit when they land in the water like that's bad yeah no splashing (laughs) yeah otherwise yeah it's it's hard to tell but yeah like like jason does one where he like dives in backwards but he doesn't like do a bunch of flips like william zopka does so i don't know if that's better or worse because he did it backwards it seemed like it was well received by the the fans and the judges I guess because it was just so graceful, even though it didn't have a lot of flips in it. Yeah, that's the other thing is no matter what, it doesn't matter how much you're following the sport as the movie goes on, you get to enjoy the spectacle of the last dive. Yeah. To me, that's the biggest laugh in the entire movie is the triple Lindy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, It's something... So, uh, so Thornton in his classes, yeah, he talks back to his business teacher. Uh, when it comes to his literature class, he cheats in an interesting way there. When he hires, uh, he has to do a paper on Kurt Vonnegut. So what does he do? He hires Kurt Vonnegut, which is bizarre to see Kurt Vonnegut 
show up in an 80s comedy movie <laughs> very briefly. And it's like, I'm sure, like, I don't even really know how many people knew who he was back then. Like, I don't know if he's he was more prominent back then or or now or what, but it's just really weird. But I like it. And I was reading how Kurt Vonnegut in later years said, like, I'm really glad that I did that because, like, I'd go to the barber shop and they're like, hey, you're the guy from back to school. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, that got me respect. So he's into it. Yeah. That's good. And and eventually Thornton just has, like, a whole team of people working for him yeah. to get through all of his classes. Yeah, he goes to the monkey <laughs> What the hell is that about? You guys even <laughs> forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> the monkey science class. And he gives I the mean, monkey pizza? There? The fuck was that? Colin, you watched this movie more recently than John and I did. What the hell was that part of the I movie? I don't remember that part that well. So, uh, Yeah, I do recall a monkey type class. <laughs> I don't know why, why that <laughs> happened. It's just what you do at college. You just hang out with monkeys. You gotta dissect them. Um, you know, it's funny you say that's what you do at college because something that stood out to me was I did go to college early enough in history where enough of my stuff was not digitized, where I do actually like see the like surprising similarities. Like the my, like my college bookstore looked a lot like mm-hmm. the college bookstore in this movie, and registering for classes was a lot like what it was like in uh, in this, where it's like a clusterfuck of people trying to like line up and sign up for stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, as opposed to what I'm sure it is now, which is just people checking boxes online. Um, um, yeah, I, I could definitely relate to the to the book the the book scene, you know, buying used books. Also, my school did have a, a monkey science class, so I can uh, I can relate to that too. We had chimps. Uh, so this movie is a hundred percent accurate uh, depiction of the college experience. Yeah. Everybody knows who the diving team is, and they're a bunch of jock jerks, just like in every. Although I never person. went to any parties that had Oingo Boingo, but then yeah. again, I don't think I went to college with a sixty-five-year-old millionaire. <laughs> I love how Thornton just like. I wasn't sure the first time I ever saw this if they're gonna go the route where like everybody like hates him and they're like, "Oh, get out of your old man!" But it seems like everybody embraces <laughs> him pretty quick and is like pretty into him because he's like funny and throws cool parties. Yeah. I think the more interesting dynamic there is the fact that like what it does for his son where like William Zab is like, oh, you just, you're just getting where you are because you have a rich dad piece of shit. I think that's kind of an interesting angle to work where Keith Gordon kind of has to like prove his own and kind of step out of his father's shadow mm-hmm. to uh, to overcome the bully and impress the girl um, who I'm going to be honest, I don't feel like is a particularly memorable or well-written character in this movie. Yeah. No, barely I, I don't even remember her name. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, Valerie. Uh, I just remember it's Terry Farrell from Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. Um, but I, the movie at least points that out because in uh, Jason's big declaration of love scene, she's like, "Do you realize this is the most you've ever talked to me?" <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he's like, I guess he's just always had a crush on her, but never actually did anything. So it's like, why would why would she reciprocate? his interest so what gets thornton in the position where 
you know, he's cheating all his classes, and obviously that causes a rift between him and his son. But at some point, some uh, totally crazy uh, event happens where he has to, like, take all his finals at once. What? How does that happen to where he gets in that situation? I think the, I think the fancy businessman finds out that he uh, is committing academic fraud. Yeah, I... Oh, okay. I believe it's also related to his relationship with uh, with Sally Kellerman. Cause, Probably, yeah. Uh, isn't she like, dude, you're not Kurt Vonnegut? Yeah. There, There is yeah, some comment true. like that where you don't, she's just like, you don't know anything about Kurt Vonnegut who wrote this. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. I love that. I also really like the scene where he sends his secretary to class to take notes, and it's that um, woman from uh, Ferris Bueller, the the desk lady. Yeah, That's yeah. Funny. she's also uh, playing strange automobiles, right? Yeah, and I think isn't no. I was gonna say she, I was gonna say Office Space too, but I don't think so. I think it's just us first too. Oh no, she might be that. Just she a might moment. Be the lady's always on the phone. If that was somebody else. Anyways, she's funny in here. That's that's a good scene. I like his crack team, but yeah, he has to uh, he has to prove himself and that he's actually learned stuff by taking all of his finals all at once. Like he has to cram like That's... he's never crammed before. Um, do you guys feel like the sequence where he's taking the final is enough of a climax? Granted, we do get another thing after that, but like I feel like they're building up to this, and I feel like we don't see that much of it. I feel like I, I wanted to see a little more of him going through each, uh, you know, challenge. But I, I, I guess the thing is, we only saw him go to like two classes ever, so <laughs> we don't really know his other classes or other teachers. Yeah, yeah, we just see him take on uh, the business professor and then uh, Sally Kellerman. Uh, but I, I don't know. I for me, it, it works just because I like this, uh, like very dazed version of Rodney Dangerfield we get. He's been cramming <laughs> the past week. Um, and there's the great part where they, they're they cutting between, like, I think the diving match and this. And um, and the business professor has given him, he says, I have what, like one question in 29 parts or whatever. Uh, and I love when they cut back to him and he's like saying, so in response to Question 28, subsection 14, part A. The answer is four? (laughs) And the business professor is like, he got me. He got it exactly right. That's great. What the hell is the question? See, that's a good joke. I love that. I like that. Um, Yeah, and then he does the... uh, the, the poem from fucking Interstellar. Oh, really? That's enough for me. That's an Interstellar? Okay. You don't remember that? I, I've, I've only seen Interstellar the one time. So no, I don't remember that. So, Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night uh, oh, is man. a Dylan Thomas poem. And uh, for whatever reason, they made... Um, they made it like a recurring motif in Interstellar that people know that poem. <laughs> Michael Caine keeps saying it. So, 
You get uh, there's a fun side by side comparison is whose reading do you prefer? <laughs> Michael Caine or Rodney Dangerfield? I mean it's always gotta be Rodney, man. This is rapping Rodney we're talking about. They both do have very heavy eyelids. <laughs> can see how that affects That's their true. speech. I, I seriously I do want to do this compare you know there's like that that video um comparing fences where you can see uh James Earl Jones version of a scene and then you can see Denzel Washington's version of the scene. I have scene. seen yeah. that. I have seen exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I want to do so that. That's so interesting. But here it would be with Throne Dangerfield and Michael Caine from two God, different you know movies. What's so great about that fences scene is when Denzel does it, he's kind of getting like laughs, like this is kind of like him throwing sass at his son. But when James Earl Jones does it, everyone's fucking terrified. <laughs> yeah, it's so scary. And it, it, it's, yeah. just, it's very interesting takes on the. Uh, I think it's just. I don't know. I was gonna say that's on the audience, but no, I think it's just on with the energy that that actor brings and how. No, they, I, th- uh, I, I think you're totally right. I think the the James Earl Jones version of the scene you walk away with, like he's teaching him a lesson about how hard life is and standing up for yourself. And you watch the Denzel version, you're like, oh, he secretly loves his son. He just can't. He's too tough to show it, so he's making yeah. jokes. It's the power of acting. Oh, so good. Did you guys ever see Fences the movie? Did not. I did see Fences the movie because it was nominated for Best Picture, so I watched it that year. It's good. It's one of those movies where I'm like, this is pretty good, but like, this is definitely just a play, and it doesn't really making it a movie mm-hmm. doesn't really add much to it. Yeah. But it's good. Like I remember when we were talking about, I think it was Training Day, and I was talking about how I'm disappointed that Denzel doesn't do more movies like Fences. He just does movies where it's like I'm some sort of cop or guy with a gun <laughs> in some sort of scenario with either a train or a truck like sometimes i wish he'd do more movies like that he's a guy with two guns (laughs) that's why they call him the equalizer yeah (laughs) didn't they did they make a second equalizer they did right they did yeah i don't i don't even know what those are about i don't i don't even know isn't the equalizer gonna be a show too people really like the equalizer you guys um there is, is I feel like a, it was a woman. There's a bizarre YouTube ad I get. I want to say for like Showtime, where it's just here's a seat, here's a scene from The Equalizer two, and if you want to not skip, you can watch this three minute scene from The Equalizer two on YouTube as an ad. And it's oh, like weird. it's it's weird. It's it's a fucked up scene too because you can tell that these Wall Street dudes had just done something horrible to a woman and Denzel Washington's going to beat him up. But I don't I don't understand this approach. I guess it, I guess it was memorable, although I, like I said I don't remember what cable service it was for. Uh, yeah. But god, that's weird. Another YouTube <laughs> okay, ad so- I've been seeing a lot is one where someone says who ate all of the Cheetos? And I think he's supposed to say Cheetos. <laughs> And maybe he is saying Cheetos, but it sounds like Cheetos so much to me. It's a five-second ad. I don't get it. Is this a Don Cheadle snack? <laughs> Don Cheadle cheese Not snack? Che- I would yeah. definitely eat Cheetos. Yeah. <laughs> sounds tasty. And there is going to be an Equalizer TV show with Queen Latifah on CBS. Oh. She's the equalizer now. 
but I don't know when that comes out. I think uh, COVID kind of messed up when that show was going to come out. Mm. Well, we have to look forward to. Did it have a network, did you say? CBS. CBS. Yeah, who knows? I saw a lot of shows are getting canceled, even though they were previously renewed because of COVID. Like um, like Stumptown wow. got canceled, even though it was okay. renewed. Hmm. I, don't, I don't actually know what that is, but that's too bad. I only know about it because it's uh, Colby Smolders from Marvel stuff and how about your no, mother? Now I know now I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I, I think I and, saw some in Stumptown is Portland, obviously. Right, cool. That's a cool place for uh for a show. I guess not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> okay, so we've been tiptoeing around it, guys. We gotta talk about the triple Indy hop. <laughs> God it's so, so after good. Thornton uh he passes all of his, his tests, but he's gotta go to his son's um his, his big swim meet uh-huh. challenge, whatever you wanna call it. And their team is not doing so hot. And they need to step... Uh, Thornton needs to step in because William Zaka pretends to be hurt. Yeah, so he's he's been giving Jason shit the whole time, right? But Jason does his dive, and he, he gets those points. And so it, it does all come down to William Zabka, and he can't handle the pressure, so he fakes being injured. So, they, so Thornton's got to do it. <laughs> Obviously. And uh, who and who wants to describe the best they can the triple windy hop like what it looks like? I mean, so going into it, you hear on the on the speakers like we are adding additional diving boards for this dive. <laughs> and like, it's like, did what? everyone else have this option? <laughs> As, and, and, you, and you think, oh, maybe that means he's just like jumping from higher up or something. So I mean, so what you see? Okay, so first of all. Riding Dangerfield has not been afraid to show his body off. <laughs> no, in we this see movie. him like getting massages while naked. Like, uh, we know what it looks like. But very conspicuously, he's in a a very concealing bathing suit, like a full body, uh, like, like an old timey yeah. full body bathing suit, <laughs> right? Uh, and uh, and he gets up there and he climbs up to that highest diving board. And it's just, it's just it's so good. It's like he like jumps and there's like a back flip or something, and he lands onto another board and does a flip, and then lands onto another board, and we get to see these flips in slow motion. A couple times you can, you can kind of see the actor who's been made up to look like Ronnie Dangerfield. I mean, that's definitely part of the reason they gave him the old timey swimsuit so they wouldn't have to give him like a prosthetic chest. <laughs> Because no way there's any stuntmen who are working at the time who had the body type of friendly Dangerfield. Yeah. Uh, it's just this elaborate, goofy stunt, and it's just made even funnier when you think this is being done by a 65-year-old man. <laughs> uh, but it's great. It's And it goes great. He totally nails it. This, this bizarre, impossible stunt. And I don't know anything about diving. I'm going to assume... You're not allowed to jump onto other dive boards into the middle of a of a dive, but who cares? It's it's really a thing of wonder. It's so fucking funny. Because <laughs> there's so many movies that end with like someone um, in the big game, like football or baseball, never diving. <laughs> and this is like, how can we make diving somehow more suspenseful <laughs> by adding a series of diving boards to jump onto? 
It's, it's so a good. great set piece. Mm-hmm. It's a miracle. And, and they, have he to, wins they have to do the it movie. in so many shots. Would it? I mean, the thing is, if they did it now, right, it would be just like a CG yeah. body. Oh, yeah. They do it in one Definitely. in one shot, but it would just be totally CG. Um, the fact that it's like That's slow motion, weird. like a bunch of shots cut together, makes it funnier. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, I don't know if there's anything else to cover after that. Well, after that, it doesn't make any goddamn sense because it was, it's the end of his freshman year. <laughs> He's graduating, uh, apparently. <laughs> Thornton gives a speech at the... Com- I mean, maybe he's just giving the commencement speech. Maybe yeah, he's not maybe. Uh, graduating. But he gives a pretty funny speech where he's like, Every, the real world's expensive. You should like move in with your parents. <laughs> Uh, guys, I'm I'm reading something on the Wikipedia that I did not notice at all, and maybe you guys notice. What's that? Apparently, Thornton learns from Diane that he passed his examination with all D's except for a single yeah. A from her. Yeah. I totally missed Sounds that. Right. So he didn't even do that good. He no. just did good enough. Passed. That's all he needed. I mean, he had to learn all his classes in like a week. <laughs> and he's old. Oh, oh. Although. Again, it's funny because it's not even finals. It was midterms he was retaking. <laughs> then he's graduating. <laughs> then he graduated. His timeline is very strange. I could swear there's a part earlier where he says he's going to go through all of college, too. Yeah. yeah. You know? This is why Billy Madison did the ridiculous thing where it's like, okay, you're in kindergarten for a week. You're in first grade for a week. You're in second grade for two weeks. Because they had to get to the, the end but this movie doesn't seem to care. That's another good, funny, big test at the end of the scene. Problem is, that's like the the only funny part of Billy Madison. Uh, yeah. I kind of agree with that. That is good, though. At no point did you come even remotely close to answering the question <laughs> And we're yeah. all a little dumber for having heard it. <laughs> Who's that guy? He's the MVP of that movie. I know, you know, that guy's just some character actor in, in random stuff. I remember he was in a funny SNL sketch where he played Andy Samberg's dad and then Jonah Hill starts dating him. That's a good digital short if you want to see whoever that actor is. Um, but he's funny. That's kind of like the 90s. Back. I know you were considering that too, Colin, for your It was, because I've also never seen it. Uh, it's just like I mean, I feel like it's an Adam Sandler movie from the nineties. Yeah. It's exactly what you expect. I, I don't feel like I would have liked it as much as as this. You know, there's one other joke in that movie I kind of like. I don't want to spoil it for you if you ever see it. Sean, do you remember Steve Buscemi popping up in Billy Madison? Sure do. Yeah, that's a funny cameo. I mean, I always like the people that he includes. Uh, you know, popping up here and there. And then, you know, that's a funny thing about this movie, too, is just the random people like Sam Kinison and Burt Young and Emmett Walsh popping up. Uh, yeah, it's a good movie. I, I think it could probably be, be a little more recognized. I think it's definitely good enough to be considered like one of the 80s well, cult classic comedies. I mean, we've been kind of talking around it. I, I think the question is for... Uh, audience members going into this movie is are you the type of person who will be exhausted by 96 minutes of Rodney Dangerfield material? Because outs- 
outside of when he's making that sandwich, which is again why I believe it's just something he really does in real life. <laughs> he's he's doing his bits the whole movie. Yeah. And uh, and I know some people probably just can't can't take. Like I mean, like Colin, you were talking about listening to his album is is hard. That's, you get to, like focus yeah, on that's it. Way more exhausting than this movie. Like this movie's a walk in the park. <laughs> compared to no respect. Uh, and back in back in my day, watching this on TV, you really felt like you were getting your money's worth because you got a lot of jokes in between commercial breaks. It was nice. <laughs> I I will say there are moments, and they are fleeting, but they are there where he has to act uh, tender and sensitive towards his son. Yeah, and yeah. he can handle the material. Like he's uh, not a bad actor. I think it's. Part of it, he's got those huge, sad eyes that work mm-hmm. so well. Very emotive. But he never really, you know, he never really just stops talking enough to really see how well he could, be, you know, he could go with that. Like, I feel like Rodney Angelfield is a good actor. He's not just a stand-up being placed into a movie and then just, okay, do your bit. I mean, he is doing his bit, but he can act, too. But uh, they never, I don't think he ever really did that in his career. Did, did a movie where it's like, I'm just going to play a real person. Uh, I think he could have done it. Yeah, I think he could have done it, but that's okay because his shtick is pretty solid, so it works. <laughs> I, I say that yet I don't know that many of his movies were that good. I mean, he didn't do that many movies. It seems like just like this and Caddyshack, Easy Money, just that animated movie Rover. I was watching uh, Rover Dangerfield. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course he uh, has a cameo in uh, Little Nicky. As Harvey Keitel's father. <laughs> huh. Does that check out? Is that possible? Well, I don't know. I mean, is it in like in a hell, flashback? Like... Okay. No, it's in... It's in. I mean, but they're all like living in hell. They're like, you know, it's like the devil and stuff. Yeah. Maybe it checks out. <laughs> also, you know, I was looking through Ronnie Dangerfield's whole uh, filmography... And I, I was looking through um, a couple posters. Like I have such vivid memories of seeing this at the video store, and it's crazy. He was still making movies in like the mid two thousands when he was like almost eighty, playing the same role essentially in Back to School. Like I think the one that stuck out in my mind. You guys should check out the poster for um, My Five Wives. I used to see this all the time in Blockbuster. It's like a movie where, yeah, he ends up with five wives. He's like, oh, what am I going to do with all these wives? It looks so bad. <laughs> I mean, this is a movie that has Andrew Dice Clay high in the billing. It, it can't be good. Mm-hmm. But uh, it just, he was playing this, this type of character for a long time. Well, you know, he, so. he, had, to, he had to work pretty hard to become successful. Good. To milk it. He had to get respect. Out. He had to always work. Yeah. Get that respect. In retrospect, does the movie Blue Jasmine suffer from the fact that the two big guys in it are Andrew Dice Clay and Louis C.K.? Maybe. Um, oh, it is, yeah, it mean, is odd. That and it's a Woody Allen movie. Yeah, it's I mean, it's movie. super canceled. <laughs> but it is odd that Louis C.K. has been more canceled than Andrew Dice Clay. <laughs> Life's funny sometimes. <laughs> I'd be I'd be curious to know like what is the most canceled movie, and I feel like 
that one. It's got to be high on the list. Is not a bad selection because of the fact that it has Woody Allen, Louis C.K. And even though he hasn't been canceled, it always seems like Andrew Dice Clay is on the verge of being canceled any minute. (laughs) He's been doing it for 30 years. Um. I don't know. The most canceled... It's got to be like a Brian Singer movie, though. Any movie he did with Kevin Spacey, probably. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, you could also get into movies with problematic plots, like Soul Man. Like Revenge of the Nerds. No one even talks about... Yeah, or Soul Man. (laughs) Dang, man. There's there's a lot of options (laughs) if you want to talk about canceled movies. Maybe we'll pick Uh, one sometime. I would rather. Not. You know what? You know what? You know what? I know what it is. It's Last Tango in Paris. Fuck that shit. Mm, yes, yes, yes. I, I, I guess. Because yeah. uh... that's the that's the only movie that put their fucked up shit in them in the actual movie. Like for real. Yeah. That's I some bad. Like that's some bad news. It's true. Anyway. Um, back to school, not problematic. Good time. Check it out on Comedy Central. <laughs> Whatever they show. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know if you can do that now, but if you time Nobody travel back anymore. to the two thousands, check it out. Uh, do we have any goofs? Or I'm guessing there probably isn't a villains wiki for that. That fancy no, I have, I have something guy. else though. All right. Do you have any? Uh, do you have any goofs, Sean? Yeah, I think my favorite funny? goof. Um, it's not even interesting. It's just the way it's written. I think is very nice. Uh, it says the scenes at the college campus all have the trees in beautiful fall colors, except the one in the diving scenes. Those trees are all in a healthy summer green. Hmm. Uh, it is kind of hard to tell, like, what time of year it is, but like, like you said, it was supposed to be midterm, so it certainly wasn't supposed to be, like, summer at yeah. the end, so. You know, I mean, given, given that it's after his son's first semester that he comes to school, you would think it's, yeah, in the beginning, like, January or February, but who fucking knows. That's good. I like that. You should give that. I don't know if you're logged into your IMDb profile, but if you are, you should give it a, an interesting because I know you have the option in IMDb trivia to give this an interesting or a not interesting. Yeah, you know, so. nothing has really seen that much action on the IMDb page. Um, I think the most. Yeah, one of them has a four out of four. Found this interesting. <laughs> During the final dive sequence, Chaz already has made one dive, but when he is about to make his second dive and gets cramps. His hair is perfectly dry and combed. Four out of four found that interesting. I just, yeah. I mean, Colin said you couldn't find any production information. I just don't think there's a lot of action on this movie. It's kind of forgotten. Yeah. But it won't be forgotten if my segment becomes a reality. Oh. This is a segment I just came up with uh, five minutes before we started recording. I'm calling it Remaking It. Remaking it. Da, 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 remaking it. Uh, yeah, so what okay. I want to do here, guys, if this movie was remade today, I want to know who you guys would cast as Thornton Mellon. Now, I want two two answers here. I want us to come up with who would probably be cast and then who would we really like to see. 
And for that, I'm going to look up actors who are 65 currently. <laughs> so we'll, we'll pick somebody. But first, who do you think would be the likely choice for them to pick if they remade this movie? I mean, it's tough because Will Ferrell's not old enough yet. And he already did old school. It really um, seems like it'd be Will Ferrell. But here's the thing. I don't... The thing about Ronnie Dangerfield in this movie is he's always, like, talking back to people, kind of. I don't imagine Will Ferrell being able to do that. <laughs> Except unless he comes back with, like, a total idiot response, you know? Uh, maybe, I mean, I, I think I I think in the Will Ferrell version, it wouldn't be... The, I mean, it's way too hard to be like, we're just making the same movie. I think it's more... <laughs> I'm imagining a remake where they're keeping the concept of rich guy goes back to school with his son. And also succeeds at diving. Um, yeah. Because I mean, who else? You know, we I don't mean, have to go as old. Oh, so we could be. You, you think you got to go kind of old though? Just, just loses some of its charm. It's just yeah. a middle aged well, guy. Yeah, and and it also it gets creepier too. Like if you don't want Alec Baldwin on your <laughs> college campus, you know. <laughs> He's too intense. I don't know, Sean. I kind of like that. (laughs) He would give a very intense speech at like the the business class where the (laughs) the dean of the business school is teaching. He'd he'd basically just become his character in Glengarry Glen Ross. (laughs) This is what you got to do when you start a business. Got to diversify. Put all your assets in, in offshore accounts. I don't know. <laughs> but that'd be kind of fun. I do really like this. I do really like this. You? I, I find it creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're probably just, they'd probably just go with someone who's just old enough to have a kid who's in college. They'd probably go with someone who's like 40. I, like, I don't know how old Kevin Hart is, oh. but they'd probably just do like Kevin Hart. Right, like, like how a, many bankable like comedy stars are there? I guess he doesn't do movies. Yeah, I or mean, I guess the question is: part. Is this like a straight to Netflix movie, or is this a theatrical movie? <laughs> it's Ty Burrell. This is straight to ne- this is like straight to like Crackle. Yeah, I guess Burrell. the the hard thing is this: there just aren't that many comedy superstars these days. Who? What if it started The Rock? Oh, I was just gonna say that it stars The Rock. I think. I love the idea of The Rock going to school. And okay, like... but guys, we have to be really careful if we're using, if we're playing The Rock on the first time we're playing remaking it. <laughs> like we can't show up a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like, is this the time we want to use The Rock, or do we want to save that card for later? Maybe not, because it wouldn't be funny to watch him dive. It would just okay, be well then, impressive. Yeah, he already did Baywatch. Yeah. So, so let's let's. So when I posed this question, I also said that we could pick someone who is turning sixty-five or is sixty-five, which is the age that uh, Roddy Dangerfield was when he did this movie. Do you guys want me to read okay. off some of the actors who are about the right age for this part, and then maybe we can just pick one of those guys instead? Okay. And okay. that'll be our pick. We'll just do one pick for all of it. Okay. So I'm gonna sure. just list off some actors. We can have comments on them as we go. Um, Billy Bob Thornton. Huh. He did he's school for scoundrels. Okay. He and might be too cranky. School movie. Uh, okay. Um, Kelsey Grammer. 
<laughs> it's just too hard to believe he didn't go to college. Yeah, he's too I was going to say the same thing. Pompous know-it-all. <laughs> he reeks so. of college. Oh, God, yeah. Okay, um, I don't even think I need to go into Kevin Costner. That's If we put Kevin Costner in this, this is an inspirational <laughs> drama. This is not a comedy anymore. Okay, how, here's a good one. Bruce Willis. Ooh. <laughs> so again, we're going pretty intense. But he could definitely uh, be lazy. Yeah, I find it more palatable than Alec Baldwin. Maybe. But then I feel like this is now 90 minutes of Bruce Willis sleeping through classes. <laughs> like putting a pair of sunglasses on and plus, he, I'm sure he would demand that, okay, but I have to shoot somebody at the end. <laughs> a guy confronts him on the diving board, and he shoots him into the pool. Yeah. I don't know. I, I would like to see Bruce Willis in this movie, though. That sounds pretty good. Who else we got? Um, we're starting to get into like more B-list. Um, I mean, uh, Jeff Daniels is around the right age. I don't know if this, he's really there anymore. Yeah, oh, here's he's a fun been one. Too um, serious lately. How about um, Tommy Wiseau? <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, we have no idea how old he is. It says 65 according to this. Can you imagine Tommy Wiseau in Back to School? How good that would be. And like, also in real life, Tommy Wiseau had his own clothing store that he built his success on. I'm just saying, man, like, it would be pretty funny to see. I mean, this is a movie that would never exist. It would be pretty funny. Yeah. Um, who else we got? J.K. Simmons. This guy's not, so not a warm response yeah. I just, maybe, but he's he was really good in uh, Palm Springs earlier this year. Um, really, the only other person on here that I'd say is, like, big enough to star in a movie is Willem Dafoe. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's pretty he's funny a... in The Lighthouse. Everyone is so intense. I feel like if Willem Dafoe went back to school, it wouldn't be because he became a successful businessman. It would just be because he went to jail. So he couldn't finish school. <laughs> <laughs> Which would make it even more, like, creepy and intense. <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, yeah, guys, I think that's all. Those are all the actors um, in that you know that are at that age, specifically sixty-five or turning sixty-five. <laughs> Do any of those stand out to you? I'm not gonna lie. I really like Bruce Willis back to school, but uh, now it's like more kind of like a little grittier. It's 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 the, I just like the idea of Bruce Willis wandering around in a robe. Yeah. It goes straight to Redbox. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think this is a hard movie to remake uh, because of the fact that Ronnie Dagefield... It's like a movie tailored for his sensibilities and his style. Yeah. So you basically have to just invent an entirely new movie to plug someone else in there. Uh, yeah, whatever. Bruce Wells. We don't do this segment all the time because it's hard, but... Just wanted to give it a shot, see if we could even get Kevin Klein is 72. Sounds right. I feel like he's always been older than I expected. (laughs) 
He also seems like he's been I remember, to college. Yeah. So beyond absolutely. He's <laughs> kind of a fancy boy. Maybe I shouldn't have been so confined by that age thing. Maybe I should have just tried to think of actors who I can imagine didn't go to college. (laughs) John Goodman. Uh, Mel Gibson. Gibson. Okay, I like what you said better than what I said. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck it. It's John Goodman. It's too good. I would love that movie. It's John he Goodman. Be, He's probably like 69 or whatever, but fuck it. It would be it. so funny to watch him do the triple Lindy. Oh no matter if they did CG, whether they did a stunt double, it, it would be funny no matter what. <laughs> no, I love this. Do you guys remember that SNL sketch where John Goodman is in a night school where he never learned how to read? <laughs> He's like, party, dude! <laughs> It's so good. You got like everyone's taking it really seriously, but he's acting like he's got sunglasses and a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> if he's if he's doing that character, this is now the funniest movie ever made. There you go. John Goodman's back to school. Oh, it's so good. Good job. It's like King Ralph, but uh, yeah. today. <laughs> Him bringing back that persona. Love it so much. And he's got you know the Connors is a pretty successful show. This is gonna end up. So this is probably gonna end up on like Peacock, but still. <laughs> All right. We've talked about back to school. We've remade back to school. School is in session. Yeah. And I gotta make a pick. Yeah. So so guys, I'm kind of torn. I have two movies I'm considering. So hopefully you guys can help me figure this out. Uh, right. First, I was. I had this original pick when I was hoping that it was still going to be summer by the time we're this. Because it's kind of a summery movie, but it's also kind of a spooky movie. Both of my movies are spooky. Um, so it would be appropriate still. My first potential pick is The Lost Boys. I've seen this movie before, oh. but I wanted to watch it again. Joel Schumacher, you know, sadly passed away this year. So I thought it'd be nice to revisit. Um, one of his, you know, probably one of his best movies, maybe his best movie. I guess he passed uh, away so yeah, after after we watched Phone Booth. He did, yeah, because we right. did cover Phone Booth on the podcast. Yeah. That's correct. Because we were talking about, um, how, you know, how many more numbers he's going to rack up on all the people he's had sex with, because it was pretty <laughs> impressive. Still, I don't think anyone's going to break that record regardless. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is Lost Boys great great film i think it would be fun to do and then the other one i was thinking of um i noticed they just recently added to shutter uh bram stoker's dracula which i've never seen whoa but i've always wanted to see because it has an insane cast (laughs) what was the whoa all about i've seen parts of this movie and it's fucking nuts You know, it's it's a Francis Ford Coppola movie. is super expensive. They f- everything was filmed on an elaborate set. Keanu Reeves is doing a British accent. Um, Anthony Hopkins is there. Richard E. Grant, uh, Carrie Elwes, Tom Waits is Renfield. <laughs> this is like a movie I'm gonna pick at some point, regardless. Because or, or, I don't know, I gotta see this at some point because it's fucking crazy. And uh, that one does have streaming options, whereas Lost Boys we'd have to rent. But I'm gonna assume Lost Boys is the more in- an enjoyable experience, but I don't know. 
it's like weighing like the better time over the probably the more interesting conversation. What do you what do you guys think? Uh, I don't know. Here. They're they're about the same for me. Definitely. <laughs> Things I'm curious it, about seeing. <laughs> Sorry. Does it change anything for you, Colin, to hear that Dracula is a half an hour longer than Lost Boys? Um I mean I assumed as much. <laughs> it seems like a lavish production. Uh so not really I guess maybe I would lean towards Lost Boys. Where are you at, Sean? I mean, we get to cover a lot more of Alex Winter's filmography. This has kind of been his year. Uh, Is he in Lost Boys? Yeah, he is. I didn't realize that he's in one movie. Keanu Reeves is in the other movie that I... (laughs) (laughs) This is the Battle of Bill and Ted. Uh, Well, then let's... I I think... I think let's go Lost Boys, though, then, because it feels more, you know, it feels more right. It okay. feels more, like, the timing feels better. Uh, and like Sean said, it's uh, it's a half hour shorter. Yeah. <laughs> we could still try and do Dracula before Halloween. We got time. I'd be, yeah. I'm dying to know what it's like. I've seen I've a couple, yeah, like, just kind of random scenes. I'm like, this is fucking insane. <laughs> Yeah, so John, you will um, get that one extra pick in October. You'll be going again on the uh, 23rd. Mm. All right, so Lost Boys. Well, uh, you'll have that to look forward to in about a week or so. Uh, you know, try, try to subscribe to our, our Mildly Pleased podcast on iTunes if you want. You can check them out on our blog, mildlypleased.com. Which we have not been posting on much lately. Hopefully we can get back in the swing of things. Uh, you know, we certainly will if we have more podcasts on the horizon. Uh, so yeah, go do that. And, uh, you know, maybe by l- listening to our podcast, you can give us a, a little bit of respect. Friends don't call, my phone don't ring. I don't get a break with anything. What's the matter? Ah, death, where is my sting? It's just rapping Rodney. Ain't that your type? No, no. Rapping Rodney. Get out of sight. It's just.